Welcome back to an all new, all different aim for the bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pablo, also known as JPAV, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And today we're talking about the miracle on ice. Now, if you don't know what the miracle on ice is, that's okay. Maybe you're not into sports. There's your first hint. It's it's sport related. Uh, it was during the 1980 Winter Olympics that took place in Lake Placid, New York. That kind of saw the, well, not kind of, that saw the United States men's hockey team defeat the Soviet Union's hockey team. So we're going to be taking a look at that kind of like from, I guess, a historical context because the way it's been portrayed since this event occurred all the way back in 1980 doesn't line up with what actually happened. So we're going to take a look at that in just a second. Before we do, however, our non-legal legal disclaimer, which is simply that the opinions that are expressed on this show by me or guest hosts when there are guest hosts is simply that it's just our opinion so you can agree with us or you can disagree with us we're not saying that we have the ultimate truth or that our viewpoints are the only correct viewpoints so with that out of the way let's take a look at the miracle on ice so this is something that is a pretty significant event in american hockey american sports just in general i guess it's one of the events you could argue that kind of like put the u.s at the forefront of like the hockey world because they were able to defeat the ussr team you may be wondering if you're not familiar with this why why is this such a big deal okay so this took place at the olympics as previously mentioned in 1980. So at this time in the Olympics, teams were not allowed to have like professional athletes on their rosters. And this was true like for other team sports like basketball, uh, which is why if you're familiar with Michael Jordan, he was on the 1984 uh, U.S. basketball team for the Olympics in that year because he was not a professional yet, right? He hadn't he had not entered into the NBA by that point. So he was allowed to play in the Olympics there. When you get to the Dream Team in 1992, they changed the rules so you could have professional athletes on your roster. In hockey in the Winter Olympics, that change came to, that came in the 1998 uh, Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan. That was the first uh, Winter Games to feature professional athletes on the teams. So now if you're familiar with Olympic hockey and like, the different international tournaments, they generally feature professional hockey players. Because now it's the norm, but back then it was not the norm. So uh, the U.S. team was comprised exclusively of amateur, uh, I guess mostly like college, university level players. But the USSR team, on the other hand, they apparently were like stacked <laughs> with professional professional players who I think played in like professional leagues in in Russia. Okay, so how that worked for the Russian players was that uh, I guess this is kind of like how things worked in Russia in general. Like I'm not like a, a historian, nor do I have like expertise in like the Soviet Union era of Russia. But from my understanding is that people 
went into like specific fields. So it's not like our current system of like, at least like in Western cultures, like uh, in Europe and like uh, North and probably South America too. I don't know uh, where, you know, you go to school and then you kind of uh, what you study may not necessarily be what your profession is, but the idea that you have a choice now, you can obviously argue how much of a choice you actually have in what career path you choose, but you're not told from day one, okay, you're going to learn this specific activity or this specific skill or this specific sport. And that's how it kind of worked in in the Soviet Union. So like when you're born, it's like, okay, you, you're going to play hockey. That's all you're going to do. So like, as you grow up as a child, like everything that you learn is focused on just becoming a hockey player, for example. Now, I don't know if it's strictly from childbirth or, you know, it's, it's something you, 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 that kind of uh, comes to you later on in your life. Like maybe when you're a teenager, like, I don't, I don't know exactly if it's how I'm saying it, but this is more just like exaggerated, but basically you're put into a specific field early on and that's what you focus on. So like if you're a ballerina, that's what you do from a young age, you learn how to be a ballerina and that's what your day is comprised of learning techniques for being like ballerinas or a gymnast or like someone who sews or someone who does like designs or someone who does like science related stuff or someone who plays sports. So Russia was always like, uh, because they were focused in the, like, obviously this is during the period of the cold war. So the USSR was focused on competing against the U S so one of the things that Americans did, although not as the biggest sports ever, because hockey in the U.S. is not the biggest sport. You know, so you have football, basketball and uh, baseball, which I'd say even to this day are bigger deals than uh, than hockey. But one of the areas that the USSR focused on to compete, again, the idea that their way of doing things is superior to the American way of doing things. One of those arenas was hockey. So compete with the U.S. and Canada on that regard, because if you look at this time, like Russia, uh, because being all, I guess, partially European country, because Russia is so big, it extends like into Asia. Because in Europe, soccer is the main sport, obviously in other places, places uh, of the world, too. But many European cultures and societies, soccer is the main sport. But if you look during like the World Cup or soccer at the Olympics, you never see the USSR as one of the dominant teams because they were never focused on that because the US wasn't into soccer. So that's how they kind of like approach this, right? So the 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 USSR players in the Olympics, they were apparently de facto professionals because they were employed by industrial firms and military organizations with the sole purpose of playing hockey on those teams. So that was basically their job. Now, I don't know if they would qualify like professional under uh, how we think of it as being paid because I don't know what their pay structure was. But essentially, it's just like that's all they did. So you could argue that they're professionals. And also the team had been together for a long time, like the Russian team. So the players that played internationally, they've been playing together for a while. So they have that team chemistry and dynamic that. Uh, presents itself as a challenge for most international teams because you know even though these type of teams tend to pick like the best players of that particular nationality 
they don't all play together. So it takes time to gel. It's one thing to have skill, but it's another thing, well, skill on an individual basis, but it's another thing to utilize those skills in a team dynamic. That's one of the differences between men's hockey and women's hockey, for example, which may be a topic for another day down the road. But one of the reasons why women's teams, at least like North American women's teams tend to do better than their male counterparts is because the women's teams tend to be comprised of the same people for longer periods of time, whereas the men's team every time like an international tournament like the Olympics or something like the World Cup if it's soccer or even the World Cup of Hockey or an I, uh, double IHF tournament or something like that comes up, those teams are like assembled like for that specific event. It's not always the same people who play throughout every single international tournament, whereas for women's hockey, generally, I mean, you do have, you know, slight roster shifts, but I would say the main core is comprised of the same players for like, let's say 10 to 15 year period. So you you have that experience of playing together. And so that was similar here for the Russian players who the Russian team or the Soviet team had not lost a game in Olympic play since 1968. So was that like 12 years? That tells you how good they are. Because I don't want anyone to come away from this saying, thinking that I'm arguing that the, 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 the win wasn't well-deserved or it's overblown on some capacity. Because it is like, I, I, you, you, the term miracle, I think, is, is used appropriately here because you do have a ragtag bunch of like college-level players against like a pretty like solidified professional team. That's been together for a long time. And as I as I had previously mentioned, had not lost in Olympic play since 1968. So it's like a decade, a little bit more than a decade of being undefeated. Now, that's like what, like two or three Olympics. But still, that's pretty impressive. OK, so taking a break here from like that, that, that that's the like historical context of these two teams, where they're coming from before they meet at the Olympics. right? And so part of the reason why this has always, uh, this particular topic has, has interested me is because, uh, was, I don't know, I can't remember now, because <laughs> a lot of these ideas that I have for like these episodes are ideas or things I've been thinking like for a long time. Some of it is like comes from things that happened more recently, but a good amount is also from stuff that I've come across over the years. So I don't remember exactly when I first found this information out but one of the things is whenever this story is told in like popular american media whether it's like a documentary whether there's an article written about it whether it's a movie because there's the disney movie called like miracle any of that stuff like i mean the fact that it's called the miracle on ice right shows it's like plays a pretty significant role in like the american like mythos of like american exceptionalism which is something i like detest i don't like the idea of american exceptionalism just in general, and maybe we'll get into that another day. I mean, that's a topic for, for something down the road. But whenever it's discussed, it's like, yes, we, we beat the Russians and we won the gold. Like, it was a triumph of the American way of life over, like, the evil Soviet way of life. And it's like, okay, fine. I mean, if you want to take out the propaganda, national pride elements of it, it's still, like, on, on the surface, it's still, like, you know, quite, quite a task to, 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 to accomplish. But this is the thing, this is the thing, this is why it's interesting to me is because the way the, the, the tournament was set up is not how it's currently set up. 
And so this is the thing that shocked me when, when I read into this or I heard about it somewhere and I got like the actual details of what happened. So before we get into that, because a lot of the stuff that we talk about when we're, we're counting events of the past, it's usually through like our current contemporary approaches and opinions and viewpoints and all that stuff. And we kind of like impose this or reflect this or, or go through that lens when we're talking about events that occurred in the past. So it's something you always have to be careful of when you're talking about prior events or prior societies or prior peoples is you always have to, you know, be aware of like, oh, maybe I'm reflecting my modern day contemporary views and opinions on some event that occurred in the past where they didn't hold those same values and opinions. So this is one such instance because so the way that like the current tournament is set up is that you have like, I think this is for most international tournaments, like uh, like the Olympics, like even like going to soccer for a second for like the, the World Cup. And uh, for like the, was it the double IHF uh, international tournaments that are held is like generally you have like a group stage, right? Where you have like four, at least four teams in a group. And then, you know, you play around Robin in the group. And then like generally like the top two teams move on to like this, the knockout round. So basically you'll have uh, once, once all the standings are uh, in place the the top two teams will go on either side of the bracket and then generally it's like single game elimination and, you know and then you get the quarter semis and then the final and then a bronze medal game so final would be, would be the, the the gold medal game and then you go you go from there so that's how it's currently set up now and then the way that it's discussed the the miracle on ice is through that context so everyone kind of sees it through that avenue of how the game is currently set up in international play. But this is the thing. That's not how the tournament was set up in 1980. There was no group stage and then single elimination middle round, right? So you didn't have a quarters, you didn't have a semis, you didn't have a final. Because the way that this event is generally portrayed, it's like, yes, the Americans beat the Russians. I believe they came back from behind, too, to win this game. But anyways, we'll, we'll take a look at the game in, in, in a, itself in a second. So like we beat the Russians. And then we won the gold medal, right? That makes the perfect story that lines up with our current understanding of how these international tournaments work, where there is the gold medal game, where there is a bronze medal game. But that's not how it worked in 1980. And this is why I always found this interesting once I learned like, oh, they didn't win the gold medal after beating Russia. Because at this point in time, the way that the, the tournament worked was there was a second round robin for the medal round. So basically, whichever teams qualified for the medal round, you did the same thing again, where you played through each team, and then whoever had the highest amount of points at the end of all those games, the, the, the team in first place would win the gold. The team in second place would win silver. The team in third place would win the bronze. So it wasn't a head-to-head -head direct competition. So it wasn't like it is now. It's not like where you play in the gold medal game, the winner wins gold, the loser gets silver. In the bronze medal game, the winner gets bronze, the loser gets fourth place. Even, this is a small, small, small uh, side tangent here, but even if you take it back to the NFL, initially, before there was such thing as playoffs, the way that you, you won the NFL championship was that if you finished from first place. So the team in first place at the end of the season, that was your champion, that's it. It was very simple. There was no such thing as playoffs. 
And then obviously that changed because then arguments came up. Well, who would actually beat who head to head? And then you had teams that would like play each other. And that's how we kind of get like playoffs, but whatever. In this case for the Olympics, yeah, it was a medal round robin. So whoever won the most games from the second round robin series, that's that's who the champion is. Now for the U.S. to win the gold, because they did in fact win the gold. I'm not trying to say they didn't win the gold here. But for them to win the gold, Russia was not their last opponent, number one. I mean, even if Russia was their last opponent, that would make it line up like a gold medal game that we have today. But it wasn't. They played another game after. I think I believe it was Finland they went on to play. And if they didn't win that game, they would not have come in first, I don't think. But this is something that gets skipped over when we're recounting this. It's like, oh, yes, we beat it. It's a great, great moment. We finally beat the USSR. Our American way of life is better. And we won the gold, showing us our dominance. But then it's like, oh, but then we actually had another game a few days later that we also kind of won. And then after that, that's uh, that's what secured our, our gold medal. And that's a little secondary part that usually gets like a little footnote. <laughs> that is the more important game in terms of like winning the gold. Like politically and culturally, you could argue that the game against the USSR was the more important one. But imagine that they didn't win that, that, that last game that they played. Or if uh, another team would have won like through points. So even if they did beat the USSR, even though they did beat Finland, someone else, you know, won their last couple of games. And so they, they were able to edge out the U.S. On, on wins or something. Or even if the points were tied on like goal differential or whatever the secondary criteria was to determine like a tiebreaker. Right. The 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 win wouldn't have the same impact. Right. It's, it's like any moment in sport. I mean, this this can be true for other things as well. But in sports, it's like there could be a really big play, a really big moment, either that it's good or bad. So like, you know, in hockey, yeah, I scored that goal. It was a beautiful goal. But in the end of the day like we lost like, you know, seven to two. It's like eh, that was a nice goal. You know, well executed. Good, good play. But eh, it was part of a loss. So, you know, it, it takes away from its impact as opposed to a really t- close game where it's like, oh, shit, it's tied 1-1. And then you did this really cool move and, you know, you deked out the whole team and then you scored like a really, you know, beautiful looking goal. Right. If you win that game or you win the championship, especially if there's something behind it in terms of like um, stakes, right, that's more impactful. But then if you lose a high stakes game where it's like, yes, the Stanley Cup or something is on the line or a gold medal is on the line. If you lose that game, that 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 play was impressive, but it gets like diminished by the fact that, oh, well, it was part of a losing effort. So the same thing would be true here. Yeah. So in this final round of the Olympics here, the gold, uh, the meddling round. There are four teams. So there's the U.S., Soviet Union, Sweden, and Finland. Okay, so they played two games, but then they had a third game carry over from the, the, the group matches for some reason. The results of those games carried over. So it was included. So even though they actually played two games for this round. So the U.S. ended up playing uh, the Soviet Union and Finland, and then the Soviet Union played, obviously, the U.S. and then Sweden. And then Finland and Sweden played against each other, but they tied. So in this case, yeah, if, if the U.S. actually lost in the game against Finland, then there is a case that the Soviet Union would have won the gold instead because they finished one point apart. So the U.S. finished with five points. The Soviet Union finished with four points. 
and they're able to win their last game against Sweden. So if the U.S. loses that game against Finland, they're tied in points. And they had more goals, too. So if they went to goal differential, I believe the Soviet Union would have won the gold. So imagine imagine that's the outcome, right? It's like, yes, we, we, we beat them, but then we still didn't get the gold, right? That would, that would be interesting. And so I always found that interesting that this is like one of the biggest moments in U.S. hockey. And it's like almost it could not have. Uh, it's possible it, 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 it wouldn't have played out how it did play out because it doesn't fit neatly into the narrative that ah yes we beat them and then we got the gold right we won i mean yes because if they won the game that would be impressive in and of itself for like the reasons that i mentioned prior but it would completely shift the impact of that win if the u.s doesn't go out and and beat finland which they probably could have because i don't think finland is a particularly strong team at least at this time i think now they're a lot stronger in terms of international play, but they were still good enough to make it to the medal round. But it doesn't fit neatly with that, ah, yes, we won and triumphed and got the gold. It's like, eh, we won and then, you know, a little more stuff happened, but let's not focus on that because it's not that important. When it is extremely important, because without that, then we, we have a potentially different scenario unfolding. So again, this speaks to like, you know, how things are framed, how we look back on certain events through. I mean, in this case, you could talk about nationalism and propaganda because this all happened during the Cold War. So you can kind of see that as part of like a larger thing. But just like even if you're not looking at it through that particular context of that of the Cold War, just kind of like making it fit with like our current views and our current understanding of like international hockey tournaments. Right. It, it changes completely from what we understand international hockey to be, how it works, because um Prior to this, there was the Summit Series of 1972 in which Canada and the USSR played against each other. So they played, but this thing that always like confused me was that they played eight games in this series. So I'm like, maybe they did that. So that way there's the possibility that like you're tied. I I don't know. But I always found it weird because I'm like, okay, well, if you each win four games and it's like, there's no clear winners like if you had you know playoffs now for like baseball or hockey or soccer or whatever <laughs> and at the end of like the you know you played an even amount of games so it's possible to have a series tied it's just like i don't get it canada ended up winning the summit series but that was like a definitive like win like obviously there was no medals or anything awarded because it was strictly canada versus the ussr but when they played that last game it was like to be the victor of the series because they ended up tying because back now hockey does not have any ties in a well in international play but also like in the nhl i don't know about other leagues if they still kept ties but the us sr and uh, canada tied one of their games so they played uh just to give you the brief uh structure of of this particular turn no not tournament but this particular series they played four games in Canada, and then it, they played four games in the Soviet Union. So uh, the first four games in Canada, the USSR won two of those games. Uh, Canada won one. And then, like I mentioned, they, they tied. So the USSR is, you know, up two to one uh, against Canada. So there's four more games to play. And in those four more games, Canada wins three of those four. So ultimately, Canada has four wins to the USSR's three wins because there's that tie in there. So in the last game, game number eight, which was a close game, it was a score of six to five for Canada. But like that is like a definitive result 
there's no additional game and if someone wins another game then you win the series it's like no this is it so like when canada won that game and they have that famous goal scored by paul henderson like that's it that's like a definitive like win yes we won the series boom right because they won four to three so when we're kind of like retail again not with like the whole political and like national angle to it but just in terms of playing hockey it's like okay there's a clear win and loss here whereas in in the u.s case against the ussr at the 1980 winter olympics it's like yes they won the game but it was not the definitive win it wasn't yes we won we beat the ussr we won the gold and that's it that's a wrap we're good it's like no we won but then we had to play this other game and and then we also won that thank god because otherwise it would have taken away from from our prior win so i think we'll leave it there that's enough ranting about hockey for one day so this has been a, a look back on the miracle on ice uh, the u.s win over the ussr at the 1980 winter olympics so if you want to look more into it read more about it watch more about this event i mean there's been several i mean there's the movie obviously uh from disney called miracle but again that does the whole thing where it's like focuses on the game itself and then uh you know we we kind of like oh yeah and they play another game later on and then and then we get to the gold medal and it's like eh not exactly how it happened but there are other things i believe there's prop i think there's a 30 for 30 documentary on a on this which i think that's what i saw that kind of like brought that to my attention that oh it wasn't actually like a gold medal game even though it's portrayed as it was a gold medal game because they ended up winning the gold but not from that win obviously it helped tremendously but it's not as a result of that win specifically so yeah if you want to read more there's uh plenty of other information about it out there so i have been your podcast person pavlo also known as jpav also known as pav also known as pavi Thank you so much for listening. Um, We definitely greatly appreciate your support and your continued support. Stay tuned for another all new, all different episode of Aim for the Bushes coming out soon. So remember, everyone, please stay safe. Peace.